Good evening, everybody. Our guest tonight is uh, an author, uh, actually also a producer of a movie, too. Yeah, I did that, too. Yeah. Uh, Brad Cummings, <laughs> he uh, produced the movie The Shack and was also one of the writers of yes, The Shack. Yes, I was. You're also the editor of the Founder's Bible. Yes, sir. And you do all kinds of stuff. I, I keep busy. Yeah. I do. You do screen, yeah, yeah you're yeah, a, I, a screenwriter I, and all kinds of stuff. I got a good cave and I, I work well in it. Well, and that's why we're 169 episodes into the live stream, and this is the first time we've had you on. I really thought you would have been on earlier, because you're a member of the congregation. Yes, sir. You live a stone's throw from here. You've done two minutes at the church, Two right. minutes away. But you're always, you know, I, sequestered in some place in so Canada So you're in writing. your cave, and I, we had I, to get you out of the cave. I've been working. A lot to do. <laughs> well, he is, he, he's, he's a wonderful historian, simply by the fact that he, he was the editor of the Founder's Bible, worked along with David Barton to take a look at not just the scriptures themselves, but how they, how our, our American history gleaned, or, or our American foundation gleaned so much from scripture. There's no explanation for the history of this nation apart from the inspiration of the scriptures. Yeah. Just <laughs> period. And, and we're going to run with that. Sure. But before we do, um, I, I wanted to share, I'm not going to read the article in its entirety. It is the excerpts of a speech that was given at Hillsdale College I'm an avid fan of Hillsdale. Uh, I typically read every one of the speeches that are given there. This one really, uh, I'm only going to read the first, what, two pages. Uh, but it, it, it's concise in describing what we're going through. Uh, and, and take in, to note that this is, uh, the events that they're listing in this article are at least in a, a month and a half old. So, you know, the, we've continued on. <laughs> And, and it's still, a year's worth happens in a week. Yeah, but it still encapsulates uh, the, the entirety of it. So it reads this way. Over the last four months, Americans have lived through what is arguably the most consequential period of government malfeasance in U.S. history. Public officials' overreaction to the novel coronavirus put American cities into a coma. Those same officials' passivity in the face of widespread rioting threatens to deliver the coup de grace uh, together, these back-to-back -back governmental failures will transform the American polity and cripple urban life for decades. Before store windows started shattering in the name of racial justice, urban existence was already on life support. Thanks to the coronavirus lockdowns, small businesses, the restaurants and shops that are the lifeblood of cities, were shuttered, many for good, leaving desolate rows of for-rent signs on street after street in New York City and elsewhere, Americans huddled in their homes for months on end, believing that if they went outside, death awaited them. This panic was occasioned by epidemiological models predicting widely unlikely fatalities from the coronavirus. On March 30th, the infamous Imperial College London model predicted 2.2 million deaths in the U.S. by September 1st, absent government action. That prediction was absurd on its face, given the dispersal of the U.S. population and the fact that China's coronavirus death toll had already leveled off at a few thousand. The authors of that study soon revised it radically downwards, too late. It had already become the basis for the exercise of unprecedented government power. California was the first state to lock down its economy and confine its citizens to their homes. Eventually, almost every other state would follow suit under enormous media pressure to do so. Never before had public officials required millions of lawful businesses to shut their doors, throwing tens of millions of people out of work. They did so at the command of one particular group of experts, those in the medical and public health fields, who viewed their mandate as eliminating one particular health risk with every means put at their disposal. If the politicians who followed their advice weighed a greater set of considerations, balancing the potential harm from the virus against the harm from the shutdowns, they showed no sign of it. Instead, governors and mayors started rolling out one emergency decree after another to terminate economic activity, activity seemingless, uh, seemingly heedless of the consequences. And it goes through uh, a, a complete breakdown of the malfeasance of government. And here we are, mid-September, devastating the economy, devastating people's life savings, 
Their businesses have been shuttered. Their children have not been permitted to go back to school. They haven't been able to be at the bedside of their loved ones who are passing. They haven't been able, the students haven't been able to experience graduation and prom. Uh, we, we, we have weddings can't be hosted. Funerals can't be had. And churches have been shuttered. Alcoholism is on a rise. Cannabis use is on a rise. Opioid use is on a rise. One in four college students in America have seriously contemplated suicide. And we're looking at the devastation. While the numbers in California today are far less than they were in June. And the governor has put greater restrictions on the state to the point where there's not even a green tile that we can achieve. Never before in the history of the world have we responded to a danger like this that has a, a death rate potential at something at 0.001. Yeah. And, and yeah. you're just going, like, so, so obviously there's a massive overreaction to something that is real and needs to be you know, considered. But there's far more dangerous things that we face regularly all the time. So you just end up going, like, what's the agenda pushing this? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not based on science. They, they really missed that one. It's not based on, gee, what's in the best interest of people in the welfare? Because there's so many things that they could be instructing us that would be helpful to the way we live. I mean, I've gone deep in this whole thing because I have all the core morbidities. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going like, oh my gosh, is, you know, is this something I need to be concerned about? It's like, yes, in fact, you do, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we really educated ourselves and it removes the fear because you're just going like, there's so many things that we can proactively do to minimize the risk and to mitigate against the challenges. And as a family, we've done those. And I'm going like, why are none of our officials giving any of that exhortations and advice and then if anyone does on the internet, man, do they jump on that and sort of shut it down. It's like the, the fact checkers come yeah. out with, I don't know what it is that they're checking, but it's not facts. No, yeah. it, it's, it's a narrative. And, and when have we ever in the history of our nation or throughout the world, for example, when influenza season comes, we never chart you know, our, our reaction based on the number of people who have contracted the flu. We don't list the number of people who've contracted the flu. We don't lock down based on how many have contracted the flu. We keep looking at hospitalizations and deaths. That's it. And, and yet, here, you will not be able to reopen the state until there, there can't be a single case of COVID in the state. That's, well, I mean, it's you, just never going to happen. You can torture the data and it'll confess to anything. Yeah. And it really is a function of... What's driving this? Because it's not the health and the welfare of people, which no. is, isn't that one of the primary functions of government? Yeah. I mean, that's the reason we, we the, institute them, no, right? No, the, the primary function of government is to protect our inalienable rights. Yes, which They're not don't come our from them. Right, from God. But I was, I was giving them the, uh, at least a little look at the, 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 the common good, the, the sort of promoting our general welfare. It, 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 that's, that's in there. In, they're not in, promoting in the pr- our general welfare. They're putting us all on welfare. <laughs> yes, that is, in yeah. fact, what they're doing. I, I, just, I think what's so challenging is you look at this nation. It's like, okay, land of the free, home of the brave. Why are we doing the opposite? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, full on, why are we doing the opposite? We have mounted um, nationwide throughout history um, a response from the citizenry to far greater challenges and overcome so many different things. This one seems to be absolutely doing the one thing that God said is not good yeah. for man to be alone. And you just think of the, the sheer impact emotionally, physically, psychologically on people in isolation. It is frankly the most unhealthy thing you could ever do for anyone Regardless of how dangerous the virus would be. Yeah. You know, what's, what's crazy is the, the, there are 10 to the 31 viruses in the world in which we're around, in, in our air, in our water, in our... In our, our, our you know, it just, I look at that and go like, and, and one virus, regardless of whether it was produced in a lab or just popped out of nature, regardless, yeah. we're going to shut down the entire world in response to something that, frankly, is the soup. I mean, 50% of our makeup 
is because of little strands of RNA that we're responding to. Yeah. This does not meet any scientific criterion in terms of our response. And I just end up going like, it's really hard. I don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to end up going like, somebody's pushing an agenda, not responding to reality. Yeah, you know, the thing that's interesting is because of the court case Rob was able to find out or the lawyers were able to find out, it was only two from covid Inventory uh, of the tragically over yeah. 100 deaths that, that occurred or yeah. attributed to COVID, only two of them were from, but, but, the rest were with. Yeah, but I let's know. go up to the higher number that they're reporting, which CDC, I think is, yeah, about 130. Over 200,000 yeah. at 6%. Yeah, so, so we're one one hundredth of 1% in Ventura County. The thing that's interesting, I've talked to a couple of people and they said, well, I'm not sending my kids to school because, and I go, one one-hundredths of one percent, and they just gloss over the number. Well, I'm not going to uh, um, go to the store anymore until this one one-hundredths of one percent, and the number has absolutely all these facts that we all have been re- regurgitating over the last 160. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, you it, could regurgitate one one-hundredths of one percent. You could say it 10,000 times. It doesn't matter. It's interesting what, what fear actually does. Yeah, exactly. In our brain, it shuts down the creative side. Yeah. And it shuts down your problem-solving functions. Yeah. And you're just going like, okay, so you... Sean Anderson covered this. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you jack people up in fear. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we do lose our fool minds. Yeah. And it's like, God's not given us a spirit of fear. Yeah. But one of power, love, and, a sound and of sound mind. Yeah. And, and I just go like, there is so many different ways we can be approaching from a public policy standpoint that you just end up going like, okay, we have the government that we deserve mm-hmm. because we voted for them. Mm-hmm. We no, have a serious no, no, because, opportunity because in we November. didn't vote. Yeah, we didn't vote. Well, to to not vote is unfortunately to vote. To vote. So yeah. I think I think there's a, there's a real day of reckoning for us to just like, hey, if you're happy with the way things are, continue along. If you're not, then it really is as we the sovereign. The great news is there's something that we can do about this. I mean, I I look at what's going on and I just go like, okay. Yes, all this is happening, but God has something far greater, far more powerful that I, I believe he wants to transact in this nation. And I do believe it's to get us back to our original foundations. There's something extraordinary in the heart of this nation, which is based upon a promise of God. And I, I look at the things that were presently being challenged in our culture, and it's like God birthed this nation to demonstrate that all men are created equal. Yeah. Okay, so I look at the racial tension. I go like, I, that's being jacked up out of all disproportion. But guess what? It's still an issue that we need to resolve more fully because we, we, we haven't, in, in, in throughout history, we've made incredible progress. And, and I dare say, I, don't, I can't point to another nation that's made as much progress mm-hmm. as the United States. But it's like, okay. But let's not model the problem like we have the disease and like we do, frankly, climate change. Are there issues? Yes. But it's like we've exaggerated everything beyond reality. And then anything that you try to do, frankly, is never going to resolve that. Yeah. Tell me about what you were alluding to for our viewers uh, in regards to God had a special purpose for this nation. In, in your studies, how do you come to that conclusion? There, there, what, what, what is your view on that? The, the two primary birthing points of this nation, one's in Jamestown, the other's up in Plymouth. And both people, when they arrived, they, they full-on dedicated this nation for an incredible godly purpose. And in, 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 in Jamestown, they, they made an eternal covenant with God, that this nation would uh, be focused on taking the gospel unto the ends of the earth. You're talking about the Mayflower Compact? No, d- down in Jamestown? Jamestown. So it's like when, when they first came, they dedicated this nation unto that purpose in an eternal covenant. Well, what gave them the right? Um, a human being and God. Mm-hmm. Decided to say, hey, we're committed to this. Well, God's still committed to that. And when you look at what this nation has done for taking the gospel unto the world, 
for all of its history, frankly, we've been about doing that incredibly well. And what was so amazing is they didn't do it under compulsion. I mean, this has always been a free market society where it's like, let's just let the truth speak for itself. Mm-hmm. We're not going to force anyone. We don't want a coercive society. And, and we're going we're gonna to set up a foundation of freedom that allows people to disagree. You don't have to agree with what, what, with what I think. You do not need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you can be anything honest with history, this nation was founded upon the truth of the Bible. We didn't want a king, but we wanted to have a court of appeals that would help us settle differences. And the reason we're a constitutional republic is that rule of law was based upon the revealed truth that's in Scripture. There's more quotations in our legal code that come out of Scripture than anything else in terms of a source document. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you look at the, the basis of freedom, I believe that's a dream that's in the heart of God for all people. And it's not just for believing people, it's for all people. And they set up a country that allowed for that. Yeah. The, the Declaration of Independence, and I've, I've said this often, that it wasn't written for America. It was for all people. All, all people. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people. Meaning, any time, any place, any people. Yeah. It was a declaration of freedom from tyranny. And the, and, and the simple acknowledgement that all of, the, all of the rights, the liberties that we're meant to enjoy, they come from God. I mean, that is so profound in terms of the, the company of nations. It's like, how many nations actually acknowledge in their founding documents, wait a minute, all of this comes from God first. And the reason we're going to set up a social contract called government it's to protect those things. Yeah. And I, I, I look at what's going on now, and you're just going, like, this is the exact opposite. It's like the people that are ruling us forgot where those rights come from. I, I'd be curious for both of you, where, in your guys' opinion, where did we start to go off the rails? Because it didn't just happen with COVID. COVID, like Joel Kirkpatrick said, it just set off the flares on the battlefield and we got to see where everybody was at. But where, where did we? I, I think you would talk about the uh, mountains of influence. Um, where, where, for both of you, where, where's I've your got my opinion. You yeah. go first. Yeah. I think we've been that, that proverbial frog in the kettle for a long time. I think one of the things, and again, you know, I have done a deep dive into our full nation's history and the different periods but I think we really began to have a, a, a point of break with civil society in the aftermath of the Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that our culture at that point broke in terms of its trust of government. We, did we have problems before then? Yes. But I think there was a real disengagement and there was a real sense of separation that's drifted where the people that, you know, this nation only works with an engaged citizenry. Mm-hmm. If, if, if we're not engaged in the civil affairs of government, they will go awry. And if you give you know, um, power to uh, an elected official, and then you don't stay around to be a part of the dialogue of what's being decided upon, mm-hmm. what's being acted, they're simply going to amass more power and use it for their self-interest and the self-dealing that's happened, and that's only been exacerbated for the last 50 years. And we have a whole generation that has grown up largely civilly disengaged. And I think that has left us in this kind of predicament where most people, they wouldn't know that my rights come from God, that I have them, and that the government only is allowed to exist in as much as they defend and protect them. I mean, that's antithetical to what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we've been on a slide ever since that. I've been trying to go like, how do you restore trust between the people and their elected government when you got this kind of mess that's going on? Because yeah. I think a lot of people throw up their hands and just go like, you know, the, drain the swamp. It's like, but nobody knows where the plug in and how do you get all yeah. those critters out? Yeah. I, I think the decline... So throughout American history, you'll see an awakening and a revival Mm -hmm. that will go before a major event. 
So with the Revolutionary War, or the War for Independence, you, you, you had the, the awakening on the eastern seaboard. With Whitfield. With Whitfield. And then before the Civil War, you had Jeremiah Lamphere, uh, Lamphere in Dutch Reformed Church, second floor, uh, 1857, and, and a massive awakening and a revival just before the Civil War when we lost 650,000 people in a field of battle. So there's, there's major moral issues God, God wants to deal with in the history of the nation, but before that is to take place, he awakens the populace. And the church lulls to sleep and, and uh, loses its identity. And, you know, we start being impressed with our buildings and our budgets and our baptisms, but not realizing that we are the proclaimers of, of liberty. We're the proclaimers of truth. We're the ones who are supposed to, to, to preach the truth. The press is supposed to, to report on it and, and, and protect it. The people are supposed to be able to speak it but the pulpits are, are there to declare it. Mm-hmm. And when the press is complicit and the pulpits are silent, we're about everything other than that. And I think in, I think it was 1947, I want to say, it was the, the redefining of the Establishment Clause that for yeah. 200 years prior, now we've been here 244 years, but 200 years prior, everything interpreted with that First am- Amendment uh, and then it switched with this Supreme Court ruling that instead of saying we have freedom of religion, they then went on to say we have freedom from religion. Yeah, and and that's that was a, a seminal shift in the history of the nation. Prayer was removed from schools. <clears throat> Bible Bibles weren't permitted. Uh, and then you had uh, we had eight judges on the nine people court that were flaming liberals. Mm-hmm. One independent who would have been closer to the R side and they did an absolute 180 degree flip of 200 some years of history with, with of no, how we understood all this with no case no case yes. and no historical data with the exception of Jefferson's letter to the yeah. Danbury Baptist Convention Which was taken out of context, totally out of context. Yeah. And, thank you Hugo Black yeah mm-hmm. and, and and it was it was laid out and that began this this slide and mm-hmm. so, you know, you can look at the social pathologies, the barometers that, you know, when prayers were moved out of schools, uh, the Bible's no longer taught, not even as, 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 as a, a book of antiquity to teach. It's just completely removed. Teen pregnancies rise, SAT scores drop, you know, all the things that shouldn't rise do and all the things that shouldn't drop did. And, and, and that's, that's a result of, as Dr. Benjamin Rush, one of the founders said, You'll never be able to build enough prisons once you remove God from the equation. And only a moral people can govern a republic. So this brave new world of secular progressivism, which has creeped in, and a secular progressive, they can only deconstruct. They can't build. Right. So, so a, a, a liberal, and I like the term liberal. Right. A liberal I, comes, I, only wish it, I only wish we were for liberty. Yeah. And we went yeah. back to the real meaning of it. But, but my idea of a liberal is they come up to a wall and they say, why is the wall here? I mean, we, we shouldn't have to be con, 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 confined. And they figure out a way around the wall. Okay, because sometimes walls shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. A, a conservative says, the, the wall's there because somebody built it and, and we really, you know, it needs to stay there. A secular progressive is, take it all down. Let's just <laughs> redefine it all. Any donkey can knock down a barn door. Only a carpenter can build one. Yeah. And so that's all the left can do is deconstruct. They, they've, they, they take out everything we have in, in society and they deconstruct it all. They have to redefine yeah. the family. They have to redefine government. They have to redefine the economy. They have to redefine policing. They have to redefine, you know, on and on. And then it's just complete chaos and confusion. Well, I, I think fundamentally, just from a philosophical standpoint, folks that are into liberty and freedom that are coming from more of a conservative bent they're not trying to organize everybody so as to make them do what they want. Right. Because there's the fundamental thought of leave me alone, please. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, the sad drift is that folks that are enjoying their freedom, wanting to pursue happiness and do what this land has been created to allow them to, to do and enjoy, sadly, 
they don't necessarily see themselves as being integral to the process of preserving and protecting that. What, what I found so amazing about so many of the original founder guys is that in their winter season, they started all the American Bible societies. Yeah. yeah. It's like they they laid down the foundations of government that would allow for a free people to really enjoy freedom in a free market, non-coercive society where you get to decide for you what you believe. There's just a a common set of things that we're going to need to agree on so that we can have peace and stability. And then they decided, you know what, if that's going to persist... We need to make sure that the Bible gets into the heart of people. Because at the end of the day, if we don't practice self-government, where Christ is ruling on the throne of my own heart, if, if I don't have the capacity to govern myself, civil society isn't going to work. Yeah, if there's, if there's individual freedom without restraints before God, in accordance with what he desires... Then it's just civil breakdown. It's just a matter of time. Well, yeah, I mean, f- freedom does not exist as a concept without the presence of boundaries. Yep. Yeah. Anarchy is, is, is that there's no boundaries. And it's like, well, that never turns out very well for anybody. Yeah. And so when you look at some of the basics is, you know, I'm bummed that, you know, we have a whole bunch of people that are supposedly on Republican side. I don't really subscribe to the two-party system anymore right. in the way that it's all been the establishment. But the minute we got away from small, limited government, where it's like, only have as much as you absolutely need, is the day that we started to change the social contract, where people started to think that the things I need will be provided for me by government, as opposed to, I get that stuff from the true source, which is God. Well, okay, let me throw this at you, because you you don't believe in the two-party system, so I'll play devil's advocate. Okay, I don't know why you want to advocate for him, but that's all right. Yeah, because you may be, and I want to let you see that. (laughs) Um, It's a system we've been given. It's the way we operate. You may not like certain players, but to abdicate our involvement and our role in that and then to say we have to participate but say I don't believe in no, it. No, no, yeah, I mean, let me be a little more precise. I'm frustrated with the fact that we have two sides of the aisle that both have exploded in big government. And they, they have some distinctions between them, but I'm, I'm pining for, okay. for the folks that would really, I think, be centered on freedom and smaller government. All right, name for me five folks that you have been investing in that you're hoping one day will rise to that position that you've discipled to do that? Maybe local off, uh, officials. Um, other than the, the little tribe of my family where my son is working in to drain the swamp yeah. and, and all that other stuff, um, th- there's a handful of politicians that we support. But in terms of, I think, where you're driving... You know where I'm going. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm not wanting to blow up the system. I just think I didn't it needs, say that. I said uh, invest in it. I think it needs a significant overhaul in terms of the fact that um, we don't have, I think on the whole, folks advocating for the foundations of what was established that would be the principles of limited government that will allow for freedom. And yeah. I think when we don't have that, when, we, when we've strayed from that, it does make trying to implement them seriously challenging. I'll give you an example of what I'm, I'm pushing towards. George Soros this month, September, he's already put in $380 million. He wants to fundamentally transform, transform America. And he's, he's, got, he's got county prosecutors, so you arrest an Antifa, he's gotten them elected, they let the Antifa go. He's figured out every area. He's, he's used his money with a return on investment, with a businessman's point of view, to invest not only in governmental systems. He's got it in the press. He's even gotten in our seminaries. We, we have key evangelical organizations that receive funding from Soros uh, organizations. Yeah, he, he's, been, he, he's been shifting an he, awful lot of, quote, evangelicalism. So $380 million just this month alone, and he spent $19 billion. We have candidates, and I, I've, got, I've got three already that I'm working for in Orange County. Pro-life, godly, gifted, smart, sharp, 
everything you could ask for. Can't raise a dime for them. People don't give a dime to political causes. And if I were to look at people's checkbooks, they don't invest. They don't even know how to win an election. Most of them never walked a precinct. Most of them never hosted a coffee. Most of them never done anything in relation to that. Don't even know how the party system works. We want it, but we don't invest in it. We miss it, but we've abdicated participating in it for well over 50 years. Our generation, Brad, we're woefully absent from that realm. And, and I know because prior to 2014, I was that guy. And, and stepping into it, it is a hard place to be. And, and the mindset of people who want liberty but have no idea how the political structure works, they don't have an answer on how to fix it. They don't like it, I agree, but we've never invested on in putting anyone into that position. And we're about ready. We've, we've, we've fallen in love with all of our luxuries. We've got our houses, we've got our nice neighborhoods. We're watching some cities burn. We're seeing our police officers being shot point blank while they're resting in a vehicle. And, 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 and we're seeing racial tension, but we've, we've got our food supply, like we were saying. You know, we're, I'm, I'm kind of ready for that. But we got the opposite, investing huge portions of their money. And there's nobody who loves liberty investing in it. Nobody. They don't well, put a dime to it. As someone who's plowed my own field under to um, pull together the seminal work of the Founder's Bible, I, I, I would say I'm in. Amen. In terms of, because I, I think one of the biggest challenges is we have lost 50 years within a public school education any connectedness to our roots. Quickest thing to cause something to die is cut it off from its roots. Yeah. And so we have not, we've not done the, 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 the job of educating our little ones in the truth and the admonition of, of what's going on and, and to give them a framework for engagement. Because there's, there's nothing in me that's saying, I'll blow the thing up and just, you know, no, I let it go. I, I yeah. wouldn't, and I and, so, and yeah. so I, I look at what's going on and I'm going like, we've lost the heart of people. And so the fact that they don't give, I, I get that. I mean, yeah. follow their heart. That's where your treasure is. We've got to re-engage people. At, the, at this foundational dream of freedom. If it's not fought for, it is lost. So, so, so with that in mind and what you said about revival, back when the historical aspects of revival, there were still Bible and prayer in the school and stuff like that. So there's a lot of people that are counting so much on this election in November to have our election go the way we want to, which will sure. allow us to turn the ship around. That may or may not happen. So my question, how does a revival where we're at right now with being so far behind, what, how does that look like to you guys? Because people, people do want to have well, hope the, of the, where the, we're going. The reason I planted my flag here is in saying yes to the vision I was hearing out of this guy's heart in terms of this bean patch. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know how to fix out there. I don't Amen. know that I have the sphere and the authority to go anything beyond the where I live and it's, what I do. It's exhausting to even okay? contemplate. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can get myself all worked up, you know, trying to solve all those mists and vapors, okay? What's tangible is my living in the way that God's asked me to in this city with my neighbors, raising my family. I... I, I personally don't want everything to just fall apart, but I sometimes wonder, I, I, that may be the only way this thing gets rebuilt. Because I think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm convinced all politics at the end of the day is local. <coughs> I mean, you called me one night to go hang out with the, the rest of the city council. <laughs> and just to get to know them. And that was probably the most helpful thing in terms of just going like, okay, they're, they're, not some, they're, they're not a ghost to fight. They're a person to know, and you're never going to shape anything yeah. unless you're engaged in an actual dialogue and of relationship. You've done more in the last four or five years to engender trust. Even, even in taking the stand and as difficult as this and all the flack that you get, you did it based upon laying a foundation of people that they couldn't just dismiss you because they got to know you. 
And you developed a voice that does have influence. I think we have too many people that have opinions that haven't invested in such a way that their voice has any weight. Mm -hmm. We're we're not in the dialogue. We're we're out here chiming and and doing whatever. But unless we re-engage, nothing's going to fundamentally change. I mean, I wish... We had folks from a conservative standpoint that were investing billions and had the foresight to say, I'm not going for the big ticket items. I'm going for the, the, the smaller, the local things. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's where it all gets implemented. Yeah. And the one real hope I do have is being a resident of here for 20 some years is there is a response. This, this community has gone through difficulty. Yeah. And because of it, it has, I think, been broken in a measure with a measure of humility that, and it's aware of its need. And that's a great opportunity for a lot more dialogues to take place in Southern California that yeah. otherwise would not. Yeah. Can you, can you real quick, cause he just threw out the, the term bean patch and I don't think we've used that in a while on that. Can you, can you elaborate just a little bit for the people that hadn't heard that term in a long time? Yeah. Um, and I, I, you're, I commend you with, what you expressed about politics being local because we talk about the swamp and your son's back there, you know, and how do we drain that swamp? Washington and Sacramento geographically are swamps. I mean, that's where they were built. They were built in swamps. That's why they use the term, but figuratively they're also swamps because, Mm -hmm. you know, water goes from its source to the lowest common denominator. And if you want to change the water in the swamp, you got to go upstream and today's dog catcher is tomorrow's Congress member. And so you have to create a community of representation that the people that you choose to represent you have to hold your ideals. Yeah. And if you're not in the public square, if you're not participating in that venture, your absence allows someone else's values Influence. to go forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't legislate morality. Yes, you can. Every law is based on someone's morality or absence thereof. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was struggling like you were, looking at the expanse of it going, I I don't see how to fix this mess. The the Lord put in my heart out of 2 Samuel 23, 11. uh, It was the third, third man listed in the Medal of Honor recipients of David's Mighty, Mighty Men. Yeah. And the guy's name was Shema. And it, it, just, it was real simple. It says he was stationed in a lentil field alone and protected it from the Philistines. A lentil field. It's the worthless crop in Israel. It's poor man's food. And someone gave me a jar of lentils. It looked like a jar of beans. And as I was looking at this thing, it occurred to me, he was basically defending his bean patch. Yep. It was a worthless piece of property. And I, I basically said, you know, Lord, I can't make a difference federal, state, maybe not even county, but I can make a difference here. Yeah. And if, if every pastor took a, a, a moral stand in his community to, as it says in Timothy, to pray for those in authority that we will live quiet and peaceful lives, praying for your school board members and your city council members by name. And that's why I wanted you to be introduced to them yeah. because you have this unbelievable work that you were the editor of that every child should be reading. But if that book isn't in someone's hands, it's a great work that just sits on someone's shelf and you, you'll have it makes a warehouse no functional difference until it becomes a part of your daily life. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it'll just sit in a warehouse. Yep. So th- that was, that was the picture that this is my bean patch. And then the second thing that God gave me is I felt like I was in exile in my own state. I'd been born here. My father was born here, my grandfather. And here I am. Everything I love about California, all of a sudden I feel like I'm, I don't belong here. Everything I vote for loses. And I just thought it's going the wrong direction. It's not a place that you want to raise a family. Matter of fact, families are leaving more have left here than came here during the dust bowl. And, and I got to Jeremiah 29, 11, cause I'd seen a, a greeting card that cracked me up. I know the plans I have for you says the Lord to give you hope in the future. It's such a lovely verse. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's like the mitzvah coin. It's just such a joke, you know, a, a couple who, you know, they love each other and they each get a half of the coin. Mm-hmm. And, and really what it's saying in the verse is 
it, while you're away, if you do anything bad, I'll kill you. God's going to watch you. I mean, it's the exact opposite <laughs> I love of you, what honey. they <laughs> Yeah. So this verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have. He says, Lord, in context, yeah, God said that, but he was sending the Israelites into 200 years of exile into Babylon. Yeah. You're losing everything. Have fun. I know the plans I have for you 200 years from now. And as I thought about that, I thought, okay, then what were the orders he gave previous to 29-11? He says, when you're in exile, he says, build houses, plant vineyards, be given in marriage, give your children in marriage, and pray for the peace of the city, for in its peace you'll have peace. So it's economic involvement. It's community involvement. It, it's, 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 it's all of encompassing that. And I thought, that's the picture. This is my bean patch. Mm-hmm. That I, I'm going to make a difference in the community where I live. Within my lifetime, I'll make a difference. It, it'll, it'll be a place that my kids and my grandkids will be able to have viable employment, raise a family, practice their faith. That's what I'm going to contend for in my community. And, and that's one of the main reasons why I stepped down from the council, because I could not, I could not allow the governor of this state to declare the church non-essential yeah it's unacceptable especially in a time of pandemic you you know something the the founders they used a word called posterity we don't use it and i i I was just amazed at how oftentimes the decisions they made were made in light of the impact that it would have on number of generations and and they they lived in light of that that someone downstream from their life was going to look back and hold them to an account for decisions that they were making and they didn't want to make them in such a way that they would be a source of derision for future generations. And I think in our, our, our microwave culture, we've lost the long game of recognizing like, you know, uh, everyone's given up in California. I haven't, I live here and I'm not moving. I, I, I wanted to reflect an advancement of the kingdom of God because people are inspired in tractor beam to the truth. Not because I'm forcing them or I'm having to stand in opposition to them, but because truth works in so much of what God has given us is for life to work well. And I, I think, frankly, as it breaks down, those things are going to become super attractive again. What is, is it, is it Hezekiah who was struck ill and the Lord said, you're going to live. Another. He said, set your house in order. And he said, oh, mercy. Yeah. And then, and then God says, you're going to be healed and, and there'll be peace in the land for another 15 years or something along those lines. And his response was, awesome. It's going to be good for me. <laughs> and, and yet they're still going to invade. They're still going to destroy. He doesn't call for repentance or God, no, but what, it can't happen to my kids or my grandkids. Please, no. He was like, yeah, that's cool. And this election, this is the response I get. I'm traveling all over the country because I realize this, this, is, this is one of the most, this is the most critical moment in my life. Yes. And people ask me this question as they're watching Fox News or sending some email to their friend or, you know, telling me what I'm supposed to do or give this note to the president or, or whatever. And so I have that opportunity. And what cracks me up is they ask me this one question. They ask it of Charlie and everybody else that I'm affiliated with who we're, we're working, we're, we're exhausted. They say, is the president going to win? And As what if that's no, going to solve it. No, no, this, this is what they're asking. Okay. They're saying, can I relax? Do I have yeah. to really do anything now? I want to know it's going to be okay. Forget about generations to come. Forget about investing. Forget about... And, it, can I, can I still get toilet paper at Costco? There's, there's no view of years to come to establish something that would bless your kids and your grandkids. No vision for the future. For lack of vision, the people perish. They're worried about what's in front of them and their possessions and their immediate purview. They have no vision for the future or generations to come. Just what you described. They've checked out. And, and there's... There's no urgency. There's, there's no investment. There's no participation. And it's almost as though we're polishing brass on the Titanic. This is a great time for a pre-trib, pre-millennial eschatology because 
you can justify your apathy on that one. Oh, yeah, what's which the is point? which is part of the problem. You know, I, I think that the, the nice thing is I don't travel in the same circles that you're in right now. I am encouraged by seeing lots of little gatherings of like-minded hearts that are waking up to the importance of this moment who are saying, uh-uh, this is not if here and no further. And, and they're taking a stand and they're recognizing a, a need for repentance first where they're just going like, shouting at the culture is going to do nothing because our voice doesn't have weight on it. You know, I think this whole pandemic thing, if, you know, I, I don't know how it's impacted you guys, but for me, it's been a real moment of just kind of a quiet sequester of allowing God to kind of focus in, drill down on me. And he said, consider your ways. And so I've just sat there going like, okay, um, have at it. What, what do you have issue with? How can I respond and change? Because I don't want to go back to normal. I want something to be spectacular that comes out of this. I've been thinking mm-hmm. the whole transformation. I was mowing the lawn one afternoon, and the Lord says, the chrysalis is coming. And I, I knew what he meant by that. That whole moment where you voluntarily go into a time of cocooning and transformation, mm. out of which I'm going like, I want, I want to become that butterfly believer that is, I don't want to be a caterpillar. I don't want to go back to the things. I, I, I want to say, God, help me become that thing that is Isaiah 60. That in, in a day of darkness and deep darkness on all the peoples, we are supposed to be excited because in that moment, it's rise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And kings and queens will come to the brightness. I, the, the thing I'm looking for is who are the people who are pressing in so as to get the wisdom from God to really solve what seem to be unsolvable problems. Mm-hmm. The, the world is being brought to its knees. I mean, it's like I, I look at what's going on and whether it's the judgment of God or just simply the harvest of bad administration... The reality is, is we got problems galore stacked up like planes trying to land at LAX that are beyond anyone's little simple solution. And it's going to bring us to a place of need and humility where I do think there is wisdom from God that there is, there's a way in which life works. And that's, that's one of the things that was so, as a great fruit out of doing the deep dive into the whole founders things. I'm going like, those guys did something in a day on the face of the earth that had never been done before. Yeah. Let, let me have you speak to that. Because what you laid out, I'm moved by. I would add a component that not only I think is the Lord looking for repentance, I think he's looking for obedience. Yeah. I think he's looking for faith without works is dead. Yes. I think he wants us to engage. Well, it's too much for me. Well, do what's in front of you. That's all that's required I mean, of you. The only thing, I haven't done anything different for 20 years. I've been doing the same thing for 20 years. And all of a sudden, we've taken traction. And it's, picking, it's picked up popularity. But nothing's changed for 20 years. The one thing I may have done that people consider important is we're still open and having church. We've been doing that for 20 years. Why wouldn't we? Yeah. And that's simple. I mean, and that was a command. Stay open. That, that simple act has done some things. My point is this. One in nine Americans fought in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. The rest stayed home. Enjoyed all of the, the efforts of, of these individuals. Even if we look in December of 1776 in Valley Forge, where a third of the Continental Army is, they, they can't even muster because of dysentery. Another third doesn't even have boots, and they have to wrap their feet in burlap sacks. And, and the war was going to be over January 1, 1777, when the conscriptions were up. It was over. This experiment in liberty, done. And everyone who signed that Declaration of Independence pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and they all knew they were going to hang. Warrant. They were all going to hang. And the minute they signed that, they lost endless battles. Yeah. They were almost decimated in Manhattan if it wasn't for the crossing of the East River the into Har- East Harlem, yeah, and holding off the British fleet. They labored. Yes. They died. 
Yeah. They were wounded. They suffered. Their families suffered. Where is that call in the body of Christ today? Because we're AWOL. I, I'm just... I'm, no, I'm, I, 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 I don't... I, I mean, I we're can, the Muhlenbergs today. I, I'm, I'm with you heart and spirit because that is the call. And I, I think the reality is, is I'm at least, even if it's the, you know, a cloud the size of the man's hand, I am seeing people yeah. who are hearing that Me too. and they're responding. And, and the thing that I take great comfort in is history has always been changed by a tiny, Amen. mobilized, empowered, impassioned group. And I'm going like, I qualify. 3.5% of the population moves every day. Yeah. I qualify. The one thing I got is passion. Amen. I may not have everything else, but the one thing I got is it's passion. You, okay? you yeah. have that. So, Give me some. <laughs> I, I, I can go deep in that, and I do have a staying power that just says, you know what? If that's our assignment, that's our call, there's nothing going to take me off that because that's who's asking for it. I do believe that in the day of doom and gloom and all the different prophetic things that people have out there, I'm just going like, yeah, it's, it doesn't take an awful lot of gifting to prophesy darkness. Mm-hmm. But it does take something wonderful to be in the midst of the darkness to see that moment of hope that says, oh, this is awesome. Uh, it's just about to come. And it's not like, it's not going to be solved with a gully washer of revival. I mean, as, as much as, I've spent my entire life yearning for revival, okay? It's not going to be solved by that. We're going to get supernatural help to build and to live and to walk this out. And I think people are being awakened to the fact that, guess what? Freedom has no grandchildren, Mm-hmm. If I want it in this generation, guess what? We've taken it for massive granted. Well, we're not, we're not any longer because guess what? Most people realize it's, we're losing it. And so it's like, well, do you still want it? If so, there's a fight, get in it. And I think the challenge is I'm not fighting flesh and blood. I don't have an enemy that I need to have bullets and go to war to. But we are fighting a spiritual battle here. I mean, there's people that I just go like, if ever there was deception and darkness, that just covers mindsets. And confusion. Yeah. And you're just going like, we need some spiritual help to break that. I mean, we've got a siege going on at the White House. Well, we're going to, my son lives not far from there. We're going to go visit them in the midst of the siege. And I, it's like, you know what? If they're going to fast and pray, so am I. I'm going to engage at a level that can supernaturally move things. Yeah, a bunch of pastors are descending on Washington for that purpose. A lot of believers. Yeah, ne- it's next a 50 week. 50-day siege, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I actually am encouraged because I'm just going like, guess what? Nobody gets to sit this one out. Yeah. I, I think another common thread that we've talked about before is anybody that's listening, anybody that sits in the pews and the chairs is seeking truth, seeking knowledge, reading your Bible and praying to equip you to be ready for that. And we're not, you know, the people, if you're not going to run for office, you could still be knowledgeable. I just watched that, that social dilemma movie, which is a great one. It talks about how fake news spreads at six times faster the rate than real news or facts or truth, because truth is so much harder to flesh out in today's world, to seek it and to find it. It's in the Bible, but that's a, that's a calling that we should all be going for, is seeking the truth. Well, we have to contend in our culture for influence and, and the freedom of ideas and the truth. I think, sadly, the church has withdrawn in the name of being spiritual, mm-hmm. as if somehow, you know, influencing culture and, and politics in that realm, those are fleshly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I asked the same question, like, when did we come to that conclusion? Because politics is a simple outworking of your discipleship. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's not a, I don't need to run for office. I need to have my life reflected for all to see. I'm preaching whether they're, I'm speaking or not. They're watching our lives. Mm-hmm. So what are they seeing? And are they seeing something that they want to embrace? Yeah. If, if every single person that was, as opposed to sitting in an audience embrace the fact that, you know what, I'm going to influence the sphere around me. 
No one's going to know where I, you know, no one's going to wonder where I am and, and what is the source of my joy and hope. If we each took that personally and just did the thing in front of us, you'd see transformed cities left, right, and center. But they're oftentimes too busy thinking, that's what I hired the pastor for. That's what I voted for the elected official to do. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. I, we were, was it Dr. Michael Brown? He was on the program. He said he went to a council meeting and they had 100 speakers that night, public speakers, and <laughs> yeah. they impassioned with a plea. And, 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 I, and before he could finish, I said, and you lost. <laughs> he goes, yeah. And I go, you don't understand politics. You, you lost before you stepped in because you didn't participate in the election process. You don't even know the, the people that are in the dais. You haven't built relationships. Everything in a community is communal. You have to participate. And the more you get to know these folks, you have that access to have those issues deliberated on with your input because you've invested in their lives. You can't show up just because local politics is accessible and vent yourself and think you're going to win. Right. You don't understand the currency in politics. And that requires discipleship for Christians to understand how to navigate this world. And, and we're, yeah, I get it. Pastors don't want to be in politics, but, but sadly, politics you, is now You are whether you think yeah, you, you are, are or yeah. not. I mean, <clears throat> you my live point with is, my, my point is politics has entered the church. Yes. And, and now they're waking up going, wait a minute. What do you mean we can't open until next year? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, where can people find the Founders Bible? Is the, Just thefoundersbible.com. Okay. And you get a copy there? Yeah. Okay. Check this out. Come on, you and me. Yes. When, when did you ever think you'd see John MacArthur quoting the Founders? <laughs> I mean, this is a transformation. I'm, I'm blessed by it. I really am. I mean, he's, he's standing, even though previous, the position he took was, he would probably look at your Founders Bible and disagree with all your findings. But to, to Pastor John's credit, the guy's standing. And I, I've, I've been with David Barton, and I've heard all kinds of pastors talk about the founders and blah, blah, blah. I don't see any of them doing this. And it's coming at great cost to Pastor John. And I may not agree with everything. He, he, may, not, he may think I'm a heretic. I don't know. But I dig the guy. I dig the guy. Yeah. And I'm blessed. I'm pretty him. sure I am. But, but, but the, the, what I do love right now is I, I, I think that the ability to sit on the sidelines is being removed. Yep. Yep. And I think that's great news. Yeah. Fisher cup bait. Yeah, because yeah, it's like we, if, if we don't stand, that doesn't take a whole lot to just stand. Yeah. I'm just going to stand. This is my bean patch. Everyone else has their own bean patch. But it, it's like Rosa Parks. It, this, was, this was a moment that, that changed America. I'm not moving. I'm just, I'm not moving. The youth are going to respond to the uh, re- rebellion to tyrants. Yep. Kids obedience to that. God. Yep. Okay. Amen. That was one of our first mottos. A plea to heaven. And, yeah. and, and just going like, I think, you know, you want to snag the counterculture? Here, here we are. Our, our moment's been born. Yep. That's, that's, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. That rocks. Yeah. Well, leave us with a final thought because we're at the top of the hour and we, we, we usually, by this time, everyone's sound asleep who's watching. My, <laughs> my, my, my anchored hope is the fact that whatever God begins, he finishes. I don't, our, my hope is not in us. My hope is in him and the fact that this nation, you can't explain it, its existence without his supernatural help. And, and, and the founders in our midst, those that um, would have been declared the most secular, they were able to see that in their day in spades. Yeah. And so I look at that and I just go like, you know what? God is not finished. These are not the end times. We're not about to leave and get out of here. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's about to get glorious and wonderful because we don't have another answer other mm. than get rightly related back to him. And as we each do that, and I just walk that out, everything will change around us. And so I'm just going like, you know what? I was born for this. This is great. I, I am excited to live here. I'm excited to live in California. As, go, uh, as goes LA, so goes the globe. I get a front row seat on what's going to matter 
and how the tide's <laughs> going to change. Yeah. And we're going to sit uh, in a future day, look back and go like, uh-huh, uh-huh. When I was a kid growing up in Coronado, naval officer, my dad, uh, I was of the age where in high school I would see flag officers that served in World War II, veterans that highly decorated, Medal of Honor winners, um, Navy Cross. I had the privilege to be around POWs that survived the Hanoi Hilton. I, I was around some amazing people. And, and I used to think, especially when my godfather, who he died at 100, uh, but he was a class of 37 from the Naval Academy. And that was a generation where mm -hmm. they went in, took command, and they went in. They saw the battles in the Pacific. And, and my wife's grandfather, same thing, Admiral Fowler. And I thought, man, it would have been so cool to have been of that generation, the greatest generation. And then as I started to study history, I just fell in love. I have, an, I have four complete volumes of Civil War history mm. that I devoured as a kid. And, and I've, I've looked at every battle and, and calculated and looked at each of the generals. And I know backgrounds on them. And I, and I love Lincoln. And, and I thought, man, it would have been great to have been, you know, in that moment in American history. And then when I became a minister and I started to look back at an area of history that I wasn't aware of, which was the founders and the Revolutionary War, that took precedent over all the other things that I, I had experienced. I thought, gosh, it would have been great to have been a part of that generation. And I thought, I've been born in really uninteresting times. <laughs> and then 2020 hits. And I'm like, Lord... Bring it. <laughs> I'm stoked to be here. And whatever you've given me of an understanding of the past, prepare me for what you have for, for what's ahead. And thank you that I'm alive. And may I be faithful in this moment for your glory. Honestly, I, we're going to see some of the most glorious things transpire. God's going to have a massive harvest of people that return to him. Amen. Because he's the one who's the author of the notion of freedom. Yeah. Okay? Yep. And go out there, ask anyone, do they want freedom? Their answer is going to be yes. But they want comfort more than freedom. Yeah. But that's going to change because yep. that option is going to be taken Take away. away. <laughs> yep. 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 But Venezuela promised me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we're out of zoo animals. No <laughs> meat today. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's going to get good. Yeah. That's a good one to end on. Yes. Yeah. Why don't you pray for us, Brad? Right. And before you pray, you've been a blessing to me. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I know the world's been touched by the work that God has done in and through you. And uh, you're, you're the kind of guy that can, can look at a glass and, and the two of us can write down 10 observations and look at it. All three of us, we write down 10 things we've observed about the glass. David and I would probably have 10 of the same things. Every one of yours would be different because you have this unique ability to just see things that no one else sees. And I, I thank God that he made you that way and it blesses me. It stretches me. So I have the gift of odd. <laughs> I don't know that I said that. There's another observation. Yes, 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 yes. See, there you go. All right, take it. Jesus, we just say we absolutely love you. We have never needed you more than yes, this Lord. moment now. And Lord, I am so thrilled that you have never wanted us more than you want our hearts now. God, I ask that you'd tractor beam each one of us and anyone listening to your throne. Would you clean us up? Would you set us right? Would you set the things in us right and then, God, I ask that you just turn on the light. And, and as we gaze upon you, God, may there be a reflected glory that a world that's in darkness and in fear, may they see something that absolutely gives them comfort, gives them hope. And God, give us the wisdom and the words that we can share that will spread life. God, I ask that you would ignite a fire inside us that just cannot be put out. And Lord, anyone that's wrestling with whatever difficulty, I just know you're bigger than it and you have not abandoned us in the least. Amen. And so God, we ask for your spirit to be poured out. 
Um, there's nothing that we have need that you cannot supply. So Lord, I just ask, would you release what is needed in every situation and turn the tide for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wonderful. Thank you. Let's go get them. Amen. <laughs> well, we're going to bless you tonight with the reading out of number six. And let me just share this with you and receive it from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs> Thank you, Brad Cummings. Amen. And foundersbible.com. Foundersbible.com. Get any, your copy now. Any other... Twitter thing, anything you want them to subscribe to, or you just want to leave it at that? What do you want? No, them? they're yeah. out there. Yeah, you'll they'll figure it you out. Know I what? did a search today. Read it, live it, love yeah. it, and give it away. Yeah. Amen. Hey, one last thing is. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Tell them. Yeah. So a lot of people have been requesting for Peggy Hall, who is the Healthy American. Dot com. She's a fighter. She has like 60,000 followers. Seriously, I, I, I watch her on YouTube and I'm thinking, I'm not doing anything. This lady rocks. Yeah. Why don't you make more of her, Lord? Yeah. So, so funny. There's so many people have been asking. So we got her. Yeah. And in fact, we got her next Wednesday and awesome. we got her via live audience. Yeah. She's going to be here and you could be yeah. there so, if you want so, to. So next Wednesday, which would be the 23rd, 23rd, Wednesday, September 23rd. Uh, we're welcoming a live audience, 7 p.m. right here at God Speak, Peggy Hall. Mm -hmm. It'll be awesome. And if you want to find out, thehealthyamerican.com. You can see some of our videos, and you get to get a sampling and be prepared to ask questions. Yeah, and, and we'll take questions yep. live on. on yeah. so, All right. God all right. bless you guys. Thanks for joining bless us. You. See you tomorrow night.